0: Chapter 2 of Book 1 of Les Miserables, Volume 2, by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Les Miserables, Volume 2, by Victor Hugo. Translated by Isabel Florence Hapgood. Book 1, Waterloo. Chapter 2, Hugo Mont. Hugomont-this was a funereal spot, the beginning of the obstacle, the first resistance, which that great woodcutter of Europe, called Napoleon, encountered at Waterloo, the first knot under the blows of his axe. It was a chateau, it is no longer anything but a farm. For the antiquary, Hugomont is Hugomont's. This manor was built by Hugo, sire of Sommerl the same who endowed the sixth chaplaincy of the Abbey of Villiers. The traveler pushed open the door, elbowed an ancient calash under the porch, and entered the courtyard. The first thing which struck him in this paddock was a door of the sixteenth century, which here simulates an arcade, everything else having fallen prostrate around it. A monumental aspect often has its birth in ruin. In a wall near the arcade opens another arched door. Of the time of henry the fourth permitting a glimpse of the trees of an orchard beside this door a manure hole some pickaxes some shovels some carts an old well with its flagstone and its iron reel a chicken jumping and a turkey spreading its tail a chapel surmounted by a small bell tower a blossoming pear tree trained in a espalier against the wall of a chapel behold the court the conquest of which was one of napoleon's dreams this corner of earth, could he but have seized it, would perhaps have given him the world likewise. Chickens are scattering its dust abroad with their beaks. A growl is audible. It is a huge dog who shows his teeth and replaces the English. The English behaved admirably there. Cook's four companies of guards there held out for seven hours against the fury of an army. Hugomont viewed on the map, as a geometrical plane comprising buildings and enclosures presents a sort of irregular rectangle one angle of which is nicked out it is this angle which contains the southern door guarded by this wall which commands it only a gun's length away hugomont has two doors the southern door that of the chateau and the northern door belonging to the farm napoleon sent his brother jerome against hugomont the divisions of foy Guilleminot, and Bachelot hurled themselves against it. Nearly the entire corps of rail was employed against it and miscarried. Kellerman's balls were exhausted on this heroic section of wall. Balouin's brigade was not strong enough to force Hugo Mann in the north, and the brigade of Soyer could not do more than effect the beginning of a breach on the south, but without taking it. The farm buildings bordered the courtyard on the south. A bit of the north door, broken by the French, hangs suspended to the wall. It consists of four planks nailed to two crossbeams, on which the scars of the attack are visible. The northern door, which was beaten in by the French, and which has had a piece applied to it to replace the panel suspended on the wall, stands half open at the bottom of the paddock. It is cut squarely in the wall, built of stone below, of brick above, which closes in the courtyard on the north. It is a simple door for carts, such as exist in all farms, with the two large leaves made of rustic planks. Beyond lie the meadows. The dispute over this entrance was furious. For a long time, all sorts of imprints of bloody hands were visible on the doorposts. It was there that badouin was killed. The storm of the combat still lingers in this courtyard. Its horror is visible there. The confusion of the fray was petrified there. It lives and it dies there. It was only yesterday. The walls are in the death agony. The stones fall. The breaches cry aloud. The holes are wounds. The drooping, quivering trees seem to be making an effort to flee. This courtyard was more built up in 1815 than it is today buildings which have since been pulled down then formed redans and angles the english barricaded themselves there the french made their way in could not stand their ground beside the chapel one wing of the chateau the only ruin now remaining of the manor of hugomont rises in a crumbling state disembowelled one might say the chateau served for a dungeon the chapel for a blockhouse there men exterminated each other the french fired on from every point from behind the walls from the summits of the garrets from the depths of the cellars through all the casements through all the air holes through every crack in the stones fetched faggots and set fire to walls and men the reply to the grape shot was a conflagration in the ruined wing through windows garnished with bars of iron the dismantled chambers of the main building of brick are visible The English guards were in ambush in these rooms. The spiral of the staircase, cracked from the ground floor to the very roof, appears like the inside of a broken shell. The staircase has two stories. The English, besieged on the staircase, and massed on its upper steps, had cut off the lower steps. These consisted of large slabs on blue stone, which form a heap among the nettles. Half a score of steps still cling to the wall. On the first is cut the figure of a trident. These inaccessible steps are solid in their niches. All the rest resembles a jaw, which has been denuded of its teeth. There are two old trees there, one is dead, the other is wounded at its base, and is clothed with verdure in April. Since 1815 it has taken to growing through the staircase. A massacre took place in the chapel. The interior, which has recovered its calm, is singular. The Mass has not been said there since the Carnage. Nevertheless, the altar has been left there, an altar of unpolished wood placed against a background of rough-hewn stone. Four whitewashed walls, a door opposite the altar, two small-arched windows. A Massacre took place in the chapel. The interior, which has recovered its calm, is singular. The Mass has not been said there since the Carnage. Nevertheless, the altar has been left there, an altar of unpolished wood placed against a background of rough-hewn stone, four whitewashed walls, a door opposite the altar, two small arched t- windows, over the door a large wooden crucifix, below the crucifix a square airhole stopped up with a bundle of hay, on the ground in one corner an old window frame with the glass all broken to pieces, such is the chapel. Near the altar, there is nailed up a wooden statue of St. Anne of the 15th century. The head of the infant Jesus has been carried off by a large ball. The French, who were masters of the chapel for a moment, and were then dislodged, set fire to it. The flames filled this building. It was a perfect furnace. The door was burned. The floor was burned. The wooden Christ was not burned. The fire preyed upon his feet of which only the blackened stumps are now to be seen. Then it stopped, a miracle, according to the assertion of the people of the neighborhood. The infant Jesus, decapitated, was less fortunate than the Christ. The walls are covered with inscriptions. Near the feet of this Christ, this name is to be read, Henquinez. Then these others, Conde de Rio Mayor Marquez y Marquesa de Almagro Habana. There are French names with exclamation points. A sign of wrath. The wall was freshly whitewashed in 1849. The nations insulted each other there. It was at the door of this chapel that the corpse was picked up, which held an axe in its hand. This corpse was Sub-Lieutenant Legros. On emerging from the chapel, a well is visible on the left. There are two in this courtyard. One inquires, why is there no bucket and pulley to this? It is because water is no longer drawn there. Why is water not drawn there? Because it is full of skeletons. The last person who drew water from the well was named Guillaume van Kilsen. He was a peasant who lived at Hugomon and was a gardener there. On the 18th of June, 1815, his family fled and concealed themselves in the woods. The forests surrounding the Abbey of Villiers sheltered these unfortunate people who had been scattered abroad for many days and nights. There are at this day certain traces recognizable, such as old bowls of burned trees, which mark the sight of these poor bivouacs trembling in the depths of the thickets. Guillaume van Kilsum remained at Hugomont to guard the chateau, and concealed himself in the cellar. The English discovered him there, They tore him from his hiding place, and the combatants forced this frightened man to serve them by administering blows with the flats of their swords. They were thirsty. This Guillaume brought them water. It was from this well that he drew. Many drank there their last draft. This well, where drank so many of the dead, was destined to die itself. After the engagement, they were in haste to bury the dead bodies. Death has a fashion of harassing victory. she causes the pest to follow glory the typhus is a concomitant of triumph this well was deep and it was turned into a sepulchre three hundred dead bodies were cast into it too much haste perhaps were they all dead legend says they were not it seems that on the night succeeding the interment feeble voices were heard calling from the well this well is isolated in the middle of the courtyard three walls part stone part brick and simulating a small square tower folded like the leaves of a screen surround it on all sides the fourth side is open it is there that the water was drawn the wall at the bottom has a sort of shapeless loophole possibly the hole made by a shell this little tower had a platform of which only the beams remain the iron supports of the well on the right form a cross on leaning over The eye is lost in a deep cylinder of brick, which is filled with a heaped-up mass of shadows. The base of the walls, all about the well, is concealed in a growth of nettles. This wall has not, in the front of it, that large blue slab which forms the table for all walls in Belgium. The slab here has been replaced by a crossbeam, against which lean five or six shapeless fragments of knotty and petrified wood which resemble huge bones. There is no longer either pail, chain, or pulley, but there is still the stone basin which served the overflow. The rainwater collects there, and from time to time a bird of the neighboring forests comes thither to drink, and then flies away. One house in this ruin, the farmhouse, is still inhabited. The door of this house opens on the courtyard. Upon this door, beside a pretty gothic lockplate, there is an iron handle with trefoils placed slanting. At the moment, when the Hanoverian lieutenant, Wilda, grasped this handle in order to take refuge in the farm, a French sapper hewed off his hand with an axe. The family who occupied the house had for their grandfather, Guillaume von Kilsen, the old gardener, dead long since. A woman with gray hair said to us, "'I was there. I was three years old. My sister, who was older, was terrified and wept. They carried us off to the woods.' I went there in my mother's arms. We glued our ears to the earth to hear. I imitated the cannon and went boom, boom. A door opening from the courtyard on the left led into the orchard, so we were told. The orchard is terrible. It is in three parts, one might almost say in three acts. The first part is a garden, the second is an orchard, the third is a wood. These three parts have a common enclosure on the side of the entrance the buildings of the chateau and the farm on the left a hedge on the right a wall and at the end a wall the wall on the right is of brick the wall at the bottom is of stone one enters the garden first it slopes downwards is planted with gooseberry bushes choked with a wild growth of vegetation and terminated by a monumental terrace of cut stone with balustrade with a double curve it was a seigneurial garden in the first French style which preceded Le Nôtre today it is ruins and briars the pilasters are surmounted by globes which resemble cannonballs of stone 43 balusters can still be counted on their sockets the rest lie prostrate in the grass almost all bear scratches of bullets one broken baluster is placed on the pediment like a fractured leg it was in this garden, further down than the orchard, that six light infantry men of the first, having made their way thither, and being unable to escape, hunted down and caught like bears in their dens, accepted the combat with two Hanoverian companies, one of which was armed with carbines. The Hanoverians lined this balustrade and fired from above. The infantrymen, replying from below, six against two hundred, intrepid and with no shelter save the currant bushes, took a quarter of an hour to die. One mounts a few steps and passes from the garden into the orchard, properly speaking. There, within the limits of those few square fathoms, fifteen hundred men fell in less than an hour. The wall seems ready to renew the combat, thirty-eight loopholes pierced by the English at irregular heights, are there still. In front of the 6th are placed two English tombs of granite. There are loopholes only in the south wall, as the principal attack came from that quarter. The wall is hidden on the outside by a tall hedge. The French came up, thinking that they had to deal only with a hedge, crossed it, and found the wall both an obstacle and an ambuscade, with the English guards behind it, Thirty-eight loopholes firing at once a shower of grape shot and balls, and Soyer's brigade was broken against it. Thus Waterloo began. Nevertheless, the orchard was taken. As they had no ladders, the French scaled it with their nails. They fought hand to hand amid the trees. All this grass has been soaked in blood. A battalion of Nassau, 700 strong, was overwhelmed there. The outside of the wall against which Kellerman's two batteries were trained, is gnawed by grapeshot. This orchard is sentient, like others, in the month of May. It has its buttercups and its daisies, the grass is tall there, the cart-horses browse there, cords of hair on which linen is drying traverse the spaces between the trees and force the passer-by to bend his head. One walks over this uncultivated land, and one's foot dives into mole-holes. In the middle of the grass, one observes an uprooted tree bole which lies there all verdant. Major Blackman leaned against it to die. Beneath a great tree in the neighborhood fell the German general Duplat, descended from a French family which fled on the revocation of the Edict of Nantes. An aged and falling apple tree leans far over to one side, its wound dressed with a bandage of straw and clay loam. Nearly all the apple-trees are falling with age. There is not one which has not had its bullet or its biscayen. The skeletons of dead trees abound in this orchard, crows fly through the branches, and at the end of it is a wood full of violets. Balouine killed, Foy wounded, conflagration, massacre, carnage. A rivulet formed of English blood, French blood, German blood mingled in a fury. A well crowned with corpses the regiment of Nassau and the regiment of Brunswick destroyed Duplac killed Blackman killed the English guards mutilated twenty French battalions besides the forty from rails corps decimated three thousand men in that hovel of Hugomont alone cut down slashed to pieces shot burned with their throats cut and all this so that a peasant can say to-day to the traveller, Monsieur, give me three francs, and if you like, I will explain to you the affair of water. End of Book One, Chapter Two